turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 6. For all you who have participated in the fast, I want to thank you for uh, being on the journey with us. Let's give you one another a hand. Okay? For some of you need a round of applause, right? But for the last for the last three weeks, we have been journeying through fasting and prayer. And it's been it's been a journey. I think for some of us we've done many fasts, but for some reason this might have been the hardest one yet. Anyone feel that way? Okay, anyone just want to like uh, give up and grab the Twinkie since they retired Twinkies and brought them back in to the market? Never. But um, there's something about fasting that, that we always forget, and it's called worship. And this morning we're going to talk about worship. And it's more than song. You see, song is a response of our worship. Song introduces us to an attitude of worship. But what Jesus has called for and what God had called from from Genesis 1 is that we would be a worshiping people. That in all circumstances, our lives would be a reflection of what life is going to be like in heaven. And as I was wrestling with this whole topic of worship, it's almost like we almost want to go to a church and say, Rob, tell me how to worship. Okay, raise your hands, clap real loud, sing, and at the end of a song that moves you, clap. Like, that's what you want me to tell you, right? That's not what it's about. Worship is an attitude. It's an attitude that God is going to speak to us this morning. That in all our circumstances, that we have an opportunity to truly engage with the living God. And I'll say this. I don't do this job because I want to. I do this job because this is my calling. And I want to know Christ and the power of His death and resurrection. Not to grow a church, but to know it for my family and to lead you guys into how to be a worshiping people. And so read with me in 2 Samuel 6, as I wiped some tears away. 2 Samuel 6, it says this, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Baalah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God in a new cart and brought it from Abinab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house. Carrying the ark of God, Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. Lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. And as I read through this little section all the time, there's one thing that's missing on stage. A castanet. That's the only thing we need to add to our worship band, and then we're fully complete. Let me give you some back, background to this story. David had just became king. When you open the book of 2 Samuel, it is basically the new chapter of the people of Israel. Before that, Saul was king. As we know, if, if you know Scripture, Saul was, was appointed and anointed king. But his sin led him away from the throne. We're not going to get all into that. But David, because of David's heart, 
and David's motives and who David was, God had elected a new king named David. But Saul was not going to give up his throne. But David was going to go on a journey for the next many, many years where God was preparing him to be the perfect king of Israel. Now think about that. David had known for many, many years that that throne was his. David had known that that God had, had basically taken the anointing, the covering off of Saul and had given it to David. And like David, we would think that that blessing, that royal cloth, should have been put on him right away. But for some reason, God had a journey for David. He had a journey that he was going to take David through that was going to prepare him to be the right king for God. And David had waited, and he had waited, and he had waited. And the whole time that he waited for Saul, he was chased, he was hunted like an animal, he hid in the cave, he was basically talked bad about to the whole nation. Everything that David had done great, Saul, in his jealousy, was out to ruin David's name. And so now you get to a place where King Saul had died. That he had given up his life in battle. And it wasn't a a giving up of his life that he was slaughtered by others, but in his shame and humiliation, he took his own sword and he turned it and he fell on it. And he died. And now David is the king, the heir, the one who is ruling, the one who is in power. And what had happened was, the Ark of the Covenant, we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Okay, what happened when the, when the thing was open? Everyone's faces melted. Remember that? Ugh, what a bad scene. I was thinking about showing it on the screen, but I thought that maybe I would get fired. But this whole idea of the Ark of the Covenant was that God's presence was in this box. And this box that was beautifully made. And we can never fully understand this, and maybe when we get to heaven, which we probably won't even care by then, God had put His presence in this box as a sign, as a seal, and as a position that God was with the people of Israel. But the Ark of the Covenant had basically, to just kind of summarize it a little bit, was, was lost. They knew where it went, but they never went to retrieve it. Saul was so consumed with himself that he basically did not care. But when David became king, the, one of the first things, chapter 6 in 2 Samuel is, David was going to retrieve the ark of God. And he was going to retrieve the ark of God because he wanted to bring everything back to its original state. He wanted to, the people of Israel to start from the ground up. He wanted to start the kingdom as it was supposed to be for all of these years during the reign of King Saul. And so David took 30,000 troops and they went and they recovered the ark of God. And when they came in, and this is where 2 Samuel chapter 6 picks up, they got the ark and David, there was a procession of soldiers 
And as the soldiers came in, they had tambourines and the little egg shakers. You ever seen those people when they do the little egg shakers? Like, don't you just want to kind of like throw that egg shaker and just break it? Like, what the heck's in that? M&M's? Like, it's like that little candy thing at Easter time. Like, that egg shaker is just messed up. I don't know who invented it, Josh. Who invented the egg shaker? Vinny did? Vinny did. So all these instruments, these soldiers... These guys that like you would think would be on an NFL team, you know, for, for all you guys, not that I've seen the movie 300, but all these guys that are ripped and diesel and all this stuff are walking in, dun, 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 tambourine, dancing around, but they're making a procession of praising God that God's throne and God's kingdom was being brought back to its original order. And so David is the king. And the beautiful thing about David that was so much different than Saul was Saul loved the position of king. He loved the robes. He loved the crown. He loved that that gold uh, cup. He loved the jewels. He loved the big burly horses. He loved that chariot, especially that one that, that, that had a license plate that said, The King. But for David, he led the procession. And not only did he lead the procession, he led it in such a way that we are going to talk about in about a little bit. But imagine that. The people of Israel are looking over their balconies. They're, they're stepping into the streets. They're, they're looking over the, 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 the whole surrounding area up on the towers. And, and they're the one, the one who is leading the way. Is King David. And he's doing it in such a way that if you were watching him, you knew he either just won something huge or he was making himself look like an idiot. But David didn't care. And he came into the, the city in such a way that all of a sudden, the city erupted in worship. It's kind of like, what was it, 1969 when the Jets won the Super Bowl? Is that right? Was it that long ago? Okay, I don't really like talking about that other team, that blue team. Okay, whatever that, their name are. What are they, the, the Tinies or the Giants? Right? But it's like that. It's like when these guys win the Super Bowl and all of a sudden confetti's all over the place. That was the image of what was going on. I find it so funny because I, I meet with a lot of people. And especially if they meet me for the first time, you know, the conversation, which I always have, hate when they ask, they're like, so what do you do with your life? I'm a minister. And they say, uh, you don't look like a minister. You don't talk like a minister. You, why do you do that? <laughs> and it's almost like this image of worship. Well, I'm not that kind of guy. Yeah, that's more like, that's more of a, uh, a Josh thing. He's a guitarist. God has crafted him to be artsy. But we literally think this way, that when we think about worship, that if I'm a certain way or have a certain job or, or come from a certain background, okay, this is not a knock on anyone, but like my wife is half this, so I'm allowed to say it. If you're Dutch, you're from the Dutch community, you're very stoic. Is my wife stoic? Uh-uh. She's a spitfire. She's around. She is ready to live life. She wakes up in the morning and that light switch goes on and she is off to the races. But for many different nationalities, English, the proper people, it's almost like that's just the way that God created me. Bull. 
okay? Bull. You're just so full of yourself that no. But we think about this. We think about certain ways that, that how we're supposed to act. And when it comes to certain environments that we feel that we have the opportunity to turn on and turn off. But do you know what I love about the people of Israel? They were nomadic. They were tribes people. They learned to live day to day. And when you go from Genesis all the way through the Scripture, all the way through the Scripture, they were people of worship. They worshipped in the good times. They worshipped in battle. They worshipped before battle. They worshipped when they were losing They worshiped when they were winning. They worshiped when they were going through loss. They worshiped when they were going through great triumphs. Everything the people of Israel had done was they came to a place that you are God and I am not. They had learned that all of their blessings were from the Heavenly Father. They learned that the food on their table was from God. They learned that the the water that they drank was from God. They learned that when they lived in a place of obedience, that even during the trials of their lives, when they stood the course of of time, when they went through the testing, that God always came through. You see, that was the beauty of the people of Israel. Did they sin? Of course they did. Did they get off track? Of course they did. But there was something innate in them Before Pentecost, that's the amazing thing, there was something that drove them that even when they sinned, even when they started going the opposite direction of what God had for them, something turned them back. And their first response was always worship. Think about that for your life. What happens when you go through trials? What happens when you go through tragedy? What happens when you got the promotion? What happens when everything's perfectly going right for your family? What happens when you finally get your finances in order? What happens when all of a sudden then crisis comes and you lose someone close to you? What is that one thing in your life that never changes? Is there this one thing, this this flag, this post, this lighthouse that that no matter what you go through, that all of a sudden there's something in you that goes, bam, this is where I'm keeping my eyes focused. Think about that. You see, I love the story of David. And and of course, when I brought this whole story up, I didn't start with this horrific story of David where he was going through a hard time and he was worshiping because that's that's kind of what we look at. Like, uh, my life's going to be horrible as a Christian and I'm going to have to learn to praise God during all the bad times. But instead, I love the idea of bringing up a highlight in David's life and seeing this picture of, of him leading the procession. Him being the one playing that tambourine. Shaking that egg shaker, you know, right? And that right beat. Going back and forth. Dancing. Jumping. Because what David was doing was only the thing that he was doing his whole life long. Say amen. Amen. When you study the life of David, the one place you need to always turn to is Psalms. Because Psalms tells the story of the life of David. You see, when you look at the true life of David, not just 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
you see a young man who was not tall, dark, and handsome. Matter of fact, you see a guy who was overlooked for the throne. Who was the prophet? What was his name? Anyone know the name that was supposed to anoint him? Samuel. Samuel was supposed to go to the house of who? Jesse. Jesse. Okay, can you say Jesse? Go to the house of Jesse. You guys need to start reading your Bibles. Don't depend on me. I could totally make this story up right now. I I could call him David and you have no idea. David, who lived in Mahua. But in this, Samuel went to Jesse's house. And God said, I am going to appoint a new king and I'm going to show you who it is. Who do you think Samuel looked at? Everyone but David. He was the twerp. He was the tiny guy. The guy that people just overlooked on the kickball field. But God had a different calling. What other things? When David did win against Goliath, he was the one who went to the king. The king did not say, hey David, can you save us? I was watching you with that sling and you're so good with it. No. He went to the king. When everyone else wussed out, he went to the king and said, you know what? I'm sick of my God. Notice how he didn't say our God. Okay, not that I just read that, but that's what it says. I could be making that up. He said, I'm basically sick of my God being mocked. And I think you are doing a horrible job as a king. That's my interpretation. And he goes and he takes down Goliath. Think about the throne. All of a sudden, people are singing and dancing. And here's David, you know, Saul's killed thousands. David has killed 10,000. And Saul was in love with David like his own child until David started getting recognition. And then for the rest of Saul's life, all he was focused on was getting rid of David. He was more focused on killing David, hunting David down like an animal. He even gave David his wife as both a gift and a form of manipulation to keep David close to him. Everything for David's life for a long span of years was on the run was hiding in caves, was hiding in the fields, was banding together the few people that would follow him because there were times in Scripture when David would approach people and it was a conversation where people were like, I'm not hanging out with you. I don't want to be associated with you. And all of David's, the good majority of his life, was learning to worship God in the most difficult times that he would ever go through. Let me just run through some Psalms. How about that? Psalm 57, David was rejected by his superiors and then for years his superiors set him up for failure and disgrace. Psalm 60, Psalm 68, Psalm 108, David found victory throughout his life but only through God's faithfulness. Anything he tried with his hands never worked. The only time he was ever ever successful was when God's hand was upon what was for him. And now here's the interesting thing. Jump ahead past 2 Samuel chapter 6. I hope you're tracking with me. Daniel got, David got comfortable in his life. And in his life, he decided to make the biggest mistake ever. It started with a look. It's like a love song. Really a bad song. started with a look. And then it went to an invitation. Then he found himself in bed with another woman. 
And then he found out she was pregnant. This is totally a country song, right? All we need is like a little banjo. And then she got pregnant. And the person he had slept with was his number one soldier. And then he had him killed. He not only committed adultery, he manipulated his army. And he killed his number one guy. But do you know what the amazing thing about all of this is? When you look at Psalm 51 and 52, when he recognized his sin a year later, right? When we're, when we're caught in sin, do we ever like admit it right away? Any of us? Any of us? No? Good. This was the first time no one was supposed to raise their hand. Awesome. In Psalm 51 and Psalm 52, it was a year later when the prophet came to him and he realized he sinned. And you know what he did? He turned back to the flag. And he got on his face and he worshipped. You see, David, in all of his life, had lived a life of worship. Everything he did in his victory when he was walking through, through the people, in his struggles when he literally was in the cave. And, 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 th- and this is like a crazy story, but this is, this, is how, this is what I love about the Bible, how detailed it is. Okay? Do you mind if I get a little boyish with you guys? Is that Okay. Everyone just say yes, I'm going to do it anyways. Okay, yes? All right. Saul went into a cave. And he went into a cave to go potty. Let's just call it like it is. They were on their way somewhere and Saul's crying, I got to go to the bathroom. Can you please hold it for five more minutes? I can't do it. There's a cave right there. So they pull over and Saul goes into the cave to go potty. And David, this is such a great sight. David is hiding behind the rock where he's going to the bathroom. Imagine that. Be like, oh, why am I right here? And he's hiding. And he's thinking, I can kill him. I can take out the one who has ruined my life. I can end it right now. And all of his soldiers are like, do it, do it. It's really uncomfortable, but just do it. And he says, no. No. I will not touch the king. In all of his life, he lived in a place of worship. This dude had a hard life. Life was not easy. And we look at, we look at people who have gained much and have attained much. And, and I can say that some of the most successful guys that I know started from the bottom, now we're here, right? Started from nothing. Okay, anyone know who sings that? Who sings that song? Right? You guys are so unhip. What's going on? Anyways, he basically, and I see this with a lot of guys, some of the most successful guys are the guys who have started with nothing. And for some reason, God has blessed them beyond themselves. There's nothing more beautiful when a guy who has gained great success recognizes where it all came from. And that was David. But there's a twist to this story because there's, there's more to this. Because the reality is, is that this is our attitude we're supposed to have. Going through trials. Going through pain. Going through victory. Even when we purposely mess up. That we always turn back to our flagship and worship. But the next part of this passage, I think, is really defines the church of America. 
I'll be as bold to say that. And it deals with someone who is supposed to be the closest person to David, his wife. Let's look at verse 16. It says here in verse 16, But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, also David's wife, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. Michal looked out the window and she saw David dancing and leaping and going crazy. And her heart fully came to to this immersion of what it really believed about God and about who David was and his faith. It says that she is filled with was filled with what? Contempt, anger, bitterness, accusations. And she went to David and it says that she basically, if you go down the verse, that she basically confronted him. You see, Michal was the daughter of King Saul. She was given to King David as as a form of both a gift with strings attached. You see, King Saul gave David this woman because yes, David deserved a wife, but he used her as a form to keep David close to Saul. Her father had just died. Her father was no longer on the throne. And yet at the same time, she knew that her father's, her father's legacy was ruined. And that her husband was the one who was going to lead the people of Israel in the right place. And as she watched David, she rebuked David. She mocked David. She said, you look like a fool in front of these people. You look like a fool in front of these men and women jumping up and down, dancing, trying to prove something to everyone. Well, if you know the life of David, David never tried to prove Jack. David never tried to prove himself. The only thing that David did, except for that that one year of time, was his whole life was centered on who who God was and the power of God that was always encompassing him. But I look at this woman, Michal, and I see this woman who was so full of bitterness and anger, yet was going through the motions of life. And in verse 20, this is what David had said, when David returned home to bless his own family, you see, even though David was king, even though David was in charge of all the people when he first walked in, he celebrated. But his next step, and really probably the most important thing that he wanted to do all along, was to run into the doors, open the doors, have his wife jump on top of him, hug him, love him, celebrate not him, but with him. And when he opened the door and said, I'm home, he jumped into something else. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Imagine coming home from a business trip and being welcomed home from this. Yeah, that's a great place to live. And David, if you read down, David turned and he rebuked her. 
You see, he wanted to bless his wife through God. But she was unwilling to see the hand of God on her family and on the people of Israel. And she lost the provisions of the kingdom. Do you know that? The blessings that God had wanted to go through Mikhail were cut off because she had an attitude of contempt. Let me make a personal story and then I'll bring to our application. As many of you know, if you're new here, you don't know this. Um, my family has been struggling for the last um, 12 and a half years with uh, a child with a major, major eye disease. Major, major eye disease. Um, we were first told that he had cancer that was going to kill him. We don't always share that with people, but that's how our journey at three and a half began. And for the last 12 and a half years, <clears throat> from three and a half to five and a half, our son had seven eye procedures. Seven. And there was one time that I actually had to go into the operating room with him, <clears throat> and they injected so much anesthesia in him, but he was so filled with anxiety that he couldn't fall asleep. So they actually put these special goggles on me and did the procedure while I sat there. Yeah, that's called trauma, post-traumatic trauma, right? And I remember one time when I brought him into the operating room, one of the seven, now make it eight, and I carried this little boy who was all drugged up and I put him on the table. And this young guy, single, goes, hey, know what you're feeling. You know what I want to say to him? You know what I want to do to him? I want to go unchristian like on this dude. And I walked out and I said, God, I, I just got to love you. And for the last 12 and a half years, we have prayed, we have fasted. We've done everything that you could imagine. And God has done miracles because he's not supposed to be where he is today. If you see Brandon, he is, our, he is a miracle. And it's been hard because my life is centered on the flagship. I kid you not. I kid you not. I, I, I want, and this is, this is only Jesus working in me. This is not me. If I see something inappropriately on TV, that, not that I'm looking for it, but everything's inappropriate on TV, I go to my wife. I say, honey, I saw something. She goes, it's okay. I want nothing to come between this or him. And do I sin? Of course I sin. Do I have faults? I got a billion of them. But throughout this journey, I really have tried to follow Jesus. And I can say with all my heart that, that before surgery and during surgery and in the presence of my family, I'm a champ, right? I step up. But there's been many times that I have found myself on the walks with Jakey or walking through Ramapo Hills just angry but yet always coming back to the Psalms of praising God, but I've wrestled with the pain of watching this handsome, gorgeous, talented, brilliant, athletic kid weep in my arms. And 
I've been praying for God to change my attitude. I have begged God that, God, I have one expectation on you, and it is killing me. It's, it's ruining me. It's literally, it's destroying my soul. That I tell everyone to have an expectancy, but not an expectation. And I've been praying for years that God would teach me not just to be awesome in front of my wife and in front of my children, in front of you guys, but in those darkest moments, to just worship Jesus. And I can honestly say that this fast, I've been fasting for really since I became a Christian. I have fasted in Vermont by myself. I've gone to Pennsylvania by myself. I've, I've done three-day fasts. I've done 40-day fasts. I've done 21-day fasts. And, and it seems like most of my fasts, God doesn't do squat. Anyone feel that way? But i got to tell you something. This time, God did something huge. He literally took my, this attitude that only Rob knows. Sue doesn't even know it. She doesn't see it. I protect my wife from this stuff. And after years of just learning to worship in the storms and yelling and getting angry, but always coming back to the flagship, God did something miraculous over the years. And so on Wednesday, Brandon came into the house. And this is more the personal side. He's like, I- I'm losing it. I-, I-, I can't see right here. I-, no, I can't go right here. There's something happening. And I'm like, Bran, drink some co- caffeine. Believe it or not, caffeine's really good for your eyes. For all you are looking for excuses to drink coffee. Um, the weather, pressure. You ever walk outside and the pressure kind of hits your sinuses? That can throw his vision off. The littlest things can throw his vision off. So I go, okay, we'll call Dr. Shabto, you know, the best of the best, and um, call Dr. Shabto. Chapter t- Dr. Shabto, of course, is sick. He's like, I'm not going to be in this week or next week. I'm like, oh, crap, we got to see Dr. Wesley. Sorry, I just was being human in front of you. Um, I'm like, Brandon, do not ask this dude any questions. Let me handle it. So Dr. Shabto said, it's nine out of ten chances his retina is detaching. We, we can wait till Tuesday. You wait, he may lose his eyes. Imagine that. Not only once, not only twice, but on several occasions, we have been told, okay, your child may lose his eye completely. And I said, Bran, what do you want to do, buddy? He said, let's get it done. And all of a sudden, this boy just turned into a warrior. And I felt like God saying, let's go through the fire together. And I just started worshiping. I said, God... He's in your hands. In every circumstance, He's in your hands. I'm going to worship you like I did last Sunday. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to fake it until I make it. I am going to go through this. Fortunately, I mean, he, he did not eat. His surgery was at 8.40 at night. The dude rocked it. Surgery went great. Praise God. They reattached the retina. Very minimal scarring. Uh, he's home because they actually shoot a nitrous oxide bubble into his eye that pressures on the retina that helps the healing process. Now, if you know me, what have I always prayed for Brandon? A full healing from Jesus Christ. I believe that. I proclaim that. That Jesus is going to be the one who's going to fully heal my son because no doctor, you see there's no superstars that, that have retinoschisis. No one with big money has retinoschisis. There is little money going to retinoschisis 
and the eyes are almost impossible to find any form of cure. So for me, the only thing I lean on is the power of Jesus Christ. But through it, until He has it, God has put really good doctors in my path. And we went through a journey for the last four days where we chose to worship Jesus. Am I emotionally tired? I'm freaking spent. But I will say this. My attitude is focused on the flag. The white flag that I've surrendered to Jesus Christ, that in everything I do, He's going to get glory. And just like that day that we were told that He had cancer that was going to kill Him, and I had to emotionally give my child back to God, I will worship Him. No matter what happens in my life, I will worship Him. Because when you go through years of trial, and I look at my life, I don't know if any of you knew this, but when I was 8 years old, I was almost killed in a car accident. When I was 17, I had my arm, half my arm ripped off, believe it or not. I've gone through a lot of tragedy, and I always wondered, God, why? Why have you put me through this freaking hell? Why? Why is it when I'm on the verge of being able to cross that line to, to go past college and play football, I have a spinal injury. And now I look back in my life and I see why, why, why. Have you ever thought that everything that King David went through was to prepare him to be the perfect king for the people of Israel? Have you ever thought that the tragedies and the things you go through is for you to be that picture of Jesus to your children? Have you ever thought about the financial crisis that you've gone through that you become the one that stays the path of purity and hope and being an upright steward of your stuff? Have you ever thought that everything you've gone through, whether losing a parent, whether divorce, whether even even being sexually abused, that everything, God did not plan it. Let me tell you that right now. God did not plan it, but God is with you. That everything you go through, that God is going to make something out of your beautiful mess. That's why I hate being a pastor. But i got to tell you, the only thing that will be different about us, I don't care about the stupid building and the lights and the flashing and, and trying to be hip and cool. Who cares? All that stuff is fleeting. All that stuff falls away. All those things go in the dust. Praising Jesus when things are good? Who gives a rip? What about learning to praise Jesus in the most difficult times of your life because when you go through life and you go through the most difficult times in your life, when you have a moment of victory and celebration, that's when you know what worship really is. That's when you know what it means to celebrate. I ain't talking junk to you. I'm telling you what I have lived through. And there are so many days that I want to go do something else. There are so many days that I want to throw this Jesus thing away. But just like Peter, there has to come a point in your life. There has to. There has to. 
that when you've gone through everything, when you've lost everything, when your kids are affected with something, when your spouse is affected by something, when your spouse chooses because of their stupidity and their sin to leave you, that you are going to stand up and you are going to look at that flag and you're going to worship Him. And in that moment, the presence of Jesus Christ, I'm getting hyped, is going to fall on you like nothing else. Like nothing else. Like nothing else. Psalm 84.10, it says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live in the good life of those who are wicked. Listen to me. When you're in God's presence, when you're in God's will, when you are saying, I ain't going to live like that. I'm not going to choose the way of sin. I'm not going to choose the way of impurity. I'm not going to be like every stinking other person. I may fall. I may give in at times. But my identity is going to be one of purity and sanctity and life. That when you fall down and you screw up, you know what you do? You trip and you, you bounce back up. You bounce back up. You bounce back up. You bounce back up. Rocky Balboa, right? Greatest movie ever. You get hit. You choose not to work out hard enough. You come back and you win again. When you choose to live a life like that, God will honor you. God will honor you. Who cares if it's in this life? Who cares? Who cares? At the end of the day, who cares? Seriously. You could get your kids into the greatest colleges, but if they don't see Jesus in you, it means diddly jack. If you don't learn to follow Jesus, do not expect your children to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, this Jesus stuff is hard. But at the end of the day, it is the most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world. Forget my conclusion. Amen. I want us to be a people of worship. I'm not going to manipulate you. When you see me up here and I'm raising my hands, you notice how my hands are almost up all day long? I have no other place to go. I have no other place to go. I want to really challenge you that when you gather here on Sunday, stop making this a half priority. Stop making Jesus the crumbs of your week. Stop making Jesus this this friend of yours. Stop making Jesus because when Jesus is only your friend or your you know brother or whatever, it's like you know it's I don't want a brother, I don't want a friend, I want a Lord, I want a Father, I want someone who's going to care for me and carry me. And in this broken, deceived world, I want someone to say that you know I am still down, but I am going to rise because of you. And when we gather. When we gather, I could have called Omar up and said, dude, I'm done. You take it this week. I need a week off. I didn't do that because I'm getting paid to be here. I'm doing that because I'm walking with you. I'm walking this hell life at times with you. 
And I'm here and I'm challenging you to start making your life a life of worship. A life of worship. MC, oh, I'm just going to MC. I'm just gathering these people so we can scatter. Really? That really is boring. That's really boring. What about gathering to encourage, to build up, to give them that pep talk, to get them out there to run? What about when we gather on Sunday morning and say, you know what, I had a great week over here. I had a bad week over here. But we are going to celebrate because when we gather, we are believing that God's presence is with us. We are believing that revelation is going to come through. We are believing that healing is going to come. Last week I told you about the woman in our church who wasn't able to have a, get a chi- have a child. She came up for prayer one Sunday and we laid hands on her and she is having a baby. Amen. Do you know what? My son wasn't healed that Sunday. She was. My attitude could be like, you know, forget that God. You touched her but you didn't touch him. Who are you, you sicko? No, my attitude is praise God because He is preparing me for what's next. That's what Jesus wants. That's what He wants. All or nothing. All or neither. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. Challenge you. If you're here for the first time, I'm sorry. You're probably just freaked out of your minds. You know, I know Mark brought his wife here. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm looking over there. I'm like, she must just be thinking, Mark, quick, get out of here. <laughs> but I, who's sick of playing faith? Who's sick of playing religion? Who's sick of playing Christianity? I'm sick of it. I mean, seriously. Bunch of freaking hypocrites. Everyone's so fake. So fake. Let's start being real. Let's start being the people that when we're going through tragedy, like, hey, can you pray for me? Can you love me? I'm here. I'm broken. And then when you celebrate, you come in with the same attitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stop giving Jesus your crumbs. Stop it. Stop coming to church when it's convenient. Stop needing the plant when you're going through crisis. And then you have your crisis is over like, bull, I don't want to deal with people like that. You're wasting my time. Am I allowed to talk like this? Seriously. We want to be a people of worship. Let's do it. Amen? Do you know what happened five years ago during Hurricane Irene? We were turned this way. (laughs) The stage was this way. And there's this little group of people. And we showed up during Hurricane Irene. And did more for the community than anyone else. And do you know what Mayor Christie, Governor Christie, whether you like him or not, do you know he honored us? Honored us? Because we said no matter what we're going to do, we're going to praise Jesus. If our basements are flooded, we're praising Jesus. If our friends are flooded, we're letting them live with us. Amen. If you think I'm being arrogant, you don't know me. Right now I am so stinking humbled and tired. But I'm going to run this race. I don't care who goes with me. Except for her. She's got to come. Or she's dead. (laughs) But I want us to. Let's be a people of worship. Let's begin to stop getting angry at God. And stop looking at there's an enemy who wants to destroy what God is doing. 
Let's start living lives of obedience. Let's start choosing to do the things that God has right and not what we think is. Let's be okay with messy. Anyone want to be okay with messy? Let's be okay with messy. Let's be okay with with the hard things in life knowing that God is going to come through. He's going to. He's going to. God is going to heal my son. God is going to, and He always does, carry us through. God is always going to be glorified in our lives. And my life, from what it was to what it is, is awesome. My life from what I came from to where I'm at is amazing. I want to trade my life for the world. And you know what? You know when people say, let me just say one thing. i got to get this off my chest and then I'm done. People say, all I want is a healthy baby. I wouldn't trade my baby for the world. I wouldn't trade my baby for the world. Because all, all God is doing is setting that boy up for a miracle. I wouldn't trade that baby for the world. And I will worship my Jesus because of my baby. Amen? Amen. What a little longer today. Apologize. I'm not trying to put on a rant or a rave. I really feel like this is what God wanted me to share. And I know by the heart of my son that if your hearts are turned to the flagship, he would say I'd go through it again. Because that's what my boy is. He's a warrior. We're going to go into a time of worship and communion. And if you are here and your life is going awesome, we celebrate with you. Don't think, wow, Rob's really had a bad week. I just got to fake it. Like right here, right here. I'm going to stay right here in my little spot. If you had an amazing week, praise God. I celebrate with you that you had the most awesome week of your life. And I hope this week is awesome as well. I praise God for the awesome week you had. Worship. Thank Him. If you're going through a week that you're just like, I don't know what's going on, worship. Worship. There's some tough things going on in this room and there's some amazing things. Let's be a people that celebrate in both. Amen? Amen.